This is John Roadhamel, and I'm here to talk about my new book, which has just been released. It's titled America's Original Sin, White Supremacy, John Wilkes Booth, and the Lincoln Assassination. It's a new look at the well-known episode of Lincoln's assassination on April 14, 1865, through the lens of race and white supremacy. This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. John Roadhamel uh, is author of the book that he, he just mentioned. He is a former archivist at George Washington's Mount Vernon in Virginia and former curator of American historical manuscripts at the Huntington Library in San Marino, California. Uh, John Roadhamel, also the author of the book uh, George Washington, The Wonder of the Age, that book singled out as the only Washington biography you'll need by the Wall Street uh, Journal. In your uh, new book, uh, uh, John, you take up, as you say, a very well-known story. I, mean, I think many of us can almost, you know, just tell it. Oh, yeah, actor John Wilkes Booth killed the president, later uh, killed himself. But you say people never really plumbed why he did this? I don't think so. I think the historical profession would attribute it to white supremacy. I don't claim that there's anything startlingly original about my thesis, but no book has really gone into it before. And I think although the historical profession recognizes that Booth was a white supremacist, the public in general misunderstands the assassination, probably misunderstands American assassination altogether. And I think Booth, John Wilkes Booth, is commonly dismissed as a crazy, drunken actor who killed Lincoln for no particular political motive, that uh, the assassination was sort of a, uh, a bolt out of the pathological blue that it was all craziness. Just as the general public misunderstands that slavery and white supremacy was the cause of the Civil War, there's a misunderstanding about Booth's motives in killing Lincoln. Here's how I understand what you're presenting to us. It's been said, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, which you know, it's a little knowledge sort of thing at, at work here. Lincoln was you know, not rabidly an abolitionist, when he was elected president. But the thought is that as the war went on, he became more convinced of the wisdom or the the rightness of freeing the slaves, which you know he did with his Emancipation Proclamation, at least for the uh, Southern slaves, so that Lincoln became kind of a different figure as the war went on. And that's what Booth was reacting against. Didn't he call him King Africanus or something like that. King Abraham Africanus I. Yeah, your your formulation is, is exactly right. Lincoln was by no means an abolitionist. Uh, he was a moderate on race and slavery. He actually said in the Lincoln-Douglas debates that as long as he could be sure that slavery would eventually end in the United States, he could accept the idea that it would go on for another hundred years. That would be tell uh, 1958, as a matter of fact, you'd have a, a uh, Eisenhower administration in which uh, people could buy human beings and Cadillacs with 48-inch tail fins. Uh, the, bo the book is, in a sense, a dual biography of, of Lincoln and J 
John Wilkes Booth, and you can see their trajectories converge until the point of, of the murder. The war itself radicalized everyone, and it, it led Lincoln, who had always hated slavery. His, his hatred of slavery was sincere. He just didn't see a way to peacefully abolish it. But the war radicalized him, as it did so many people, and as he moved closer and closer to emancipation and carried out emancipation and then began to support civil rights for African-Americans, Booth became more and more angry, more and more enraged. Mm -hmm. And that's where their trajectories intersected. Because Lincoln's change of, of heart or, or opinions was, was public. I mean, he was the president. I mean, it became known. It wasn't that he, you know, he could have just been thinking these things and, and not uh, put them into action, but he did put them into action. Yes, it was very much a public thing. Uh, he, uh, the, the Emancipation Proclamation was publicly announced. He, Lincoln, emphasized that it wasn't for abolition, it was a military tactic to win the war. Uh, but Lincoln had always hated slavery since he'd been a young man, just as John Wilkes Booth had always supported slavery since he was a young man. And at the very end of his life, in the last speech Lincoln ever gave, uh, three days before the assassination, he made, uh, this is in a public address from the White House, uh, to a crowd the night of April 11th, Lincoln made a, uh, a, a very remarkable uh, suggestion when he suggested that he now favored giving the vote to some African-American men. And this is the first time any American president had ever publicly proposed giving the, giving the franchise to black people. John Wilkes Booth was in the audience. He was right in front and heard this. And he said to one of his companions and co-conspirators, he said, quote, that means Negro citizenship. Now, by God, I'll put him through. That's the last speech he'll ever make. And I probably don't need to explain to you that Negro was not the word he used. He used a different word that I'm not going to say on your program. But uh, there's a direct connection between, between Lincoln's proposal for black civil rights and the murder. So mm. as, as historian Michael Burlingame has said in his definitive two-volume, 2,000-page biography of Lincoln, Lincoln should be regarded as a martyr of black civil rights just as much as Martin Luther King or, or other leaders that fell victim to racial violence in uh, the 20th century. You mentioned, uh, in talking about John Wilkes Booth listening to that last speech, I think you said something about he spoke to one of his co-conspirators. This was a conspiracy, or, or was it, to kill Lincoln and kill others uh, and to de derail the Union cause? It was very much a conspiracy. Uh, Booth initially had an idea that he could kidnap Lincoln, capture him, and carry him south and use him as a hostage to win the release of the many, many Confederate prisoners of war that were in uh, uh, prison camps in the north. But I don't know how serious he ever was about capturing Lincoln. I think he knew from the start that maybe murder was the best solution. And certainly the idea of, of capturing a president... Uh, Capturing Lincoln could obviously lead to Lincoln's death, 
Lincoln was a prodigiously strong man. I don't know if Booth knew that, but it would have been hard to overpower him. And if he had kidnapped Lincoln or captured him in the vicinity of Washington, he'd have to get him quite some distance before he'd be in the South. And there could have been some kind of firefight or or pursuit, and Lincoln could have been killed in that way anyway. So I think murder was always there. But at first, and when he was recruiting his co-conspirators, he presented it as a as an abduction plot, not as a murder. Mm. But by by the end of the war, he was determined to kill Lincoln. And he was also determined at that point to try to decapitate the whole federal government by killing uh, uh, an entire cadre of top leadership. He wanted to kill the vice president, Andrew Johnson, the secretary of state, William Seward, the secretary of war, uh, Stanton. He wanted to kill U.S. Grant, the, the, the commanding general of the U.S. armies. And he believed that this kind of bloodletting might give the South a, a chance to recover, even though we had already surrendered by this point and the war was essentially over. Lincoln was killed. Seward was badly injured, was, was he not? What about the other people that he, they targeted? They were unsuccessful. He sent two people to kill Andrew Johnson, the vice president. They either chickened out or were stymied in some way. Someone stalked Secretary of War Edwin Stanton, but didn't kill him. And someone tried to break... Grant was on a railroad journey at the time. And someone tried to break into Grant's railroad car in Delaware during this train journey, but wasn't able to get in. So you're right. Lincoln and Seward were the only two that were attacked. Seward was very badly wounded by a, 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 one of the conspirators with a, with a bowie knife, but he survived. His face was completely laid open. He never allowed photographs of uh, the right side of his face after that because uh, this this man had carved him up with the Bowie knot so badly. But Lincoln was and the only one that died. Isn't it remarkable that John Wilkes Booth was able to do this? You know, the president of the United States, wars just ended. Didn't he have a military guard to protect him? No, uh, that's, that's an interesting aspect of all this. There never... Before this, there had never, in the 75 or 80 years of U.S. history, there had never been an, a, a serious assassination attempt or an assassination, and there had never been any attempt in the past to secure the executive mansion or to protect the person of the president, because there simply hadn't been any need for that. Now, that did change with Lincoln. Uh, Lincoln received thousands of death threats. John Wilkes Booth was only one of hundreds of thousands or millions of American men in the North as well as the South that believed that Lincoln deserved to die. Booth is the only one that acted on it. Lincoln was irresponsible, reckless about his safety, and uh, he was urged by Secretary of War Stanton not to go to the theater that night, but but he went. And... Uh, Part of that, I think, is the 19th century American cult of manliness. He didn't want to do anything that would make him appear cowardly. And uh, I would say that, objectively speaking, Abraham Lincoln was irresponsible because his life was so precious to the nation, and he put it at risk. All he had was a police bodyguard who, when the play started, promptly went to a nearby saloon and started drinking. He was an alcoholic. So he had no guard. 
And Booth knew that, or he knew that his victim awaited? Booth had been looking for an opportunity to do this uh, for a while, and this was the opportunity. On Inauguration Day, March 4th, 1865, when Lincoln gave his, uh, his memorable second inaugural address, Booth tried to get close to him then and was prevented by police. He tried to get close to him on another occasion and was prevented by the crowd. So Ford's theater was sort of the perfect opportunity. He was an actor, of course. He was well known to the staff at Ford's theater. He was in and out of the place all day. And it did provide the opportunity he'd been looking for 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 months. He he was well known as an actor. So him being at Ford Theater didn't raise suspicions among the people that ran Ford Theater, for example. Not at all. Ford's Theater was the closest place to a home he had. He got his mail there. People looked for him there. He was an actor in good standing and an old friend of of the Ford family. So... No, there was no suspicion about his being there. Where did John Wilkes Booth come from? He was from a family of actors, was he not? Yes, his father, uh, Junius Brutus Booth, who who was English and had come to America in the 1820s, was for about 30 years the preeminent tragic actor in the United States. He was acknowledged the foremost actor in the United States. The other thing about his father, Junius Brutus Booth, is that he was crazy. He was authentically psychotic from time to time, and he was an alcoholic. So that made it easier for people to attribute Booth's murder of Lincoln to alcohol and and madness. But Booth was not mad. He was extremely angry, but he was not crazy. Where did he come from? He was born in, in Maryland? He was born in northern Maryland, north of Baltimore. It was a slave state, so he grew up in slave country. He went to various boarding schools at the age of only, well, he first went on the stage when he was only 16 or 17. But he became a professional actor at about the age of 20 in Philadelphia. Very early on, he he became, he began to think of himself as a, as a southern gentleman and as a supporter of slavery and white supremacy. He made those statements very clearly, explicitly, in in the few political testaments he he left behind. He did not serve in the war, or did he? Or fight in the war? He he did not, and that was was a, a paradox, because he was vocal and vehement in his support of Southern, the Southern Rebellion. But, uh, he explained it that he'd promised his mother he wouldn't enlist. She couldn't, she, he was, she had 10 children, but he was her favorite child. And she wasn't willing to lose him in battle. So he, uh, and he also said he was working undercover for the Confederacy. So he was really more, more valuable as, a, as an undercover agent and a spy than he would be as a soldier in the ranks. Had he met Lincoln? No, he never met Lincoln. He performed, uh, Lincoln saw him perform on stage in Ford's Theater, actually, but no, he never met Lincoln. And you had said a little while ago that there were many uh, people who were Southern sympathizers or Southerners who thought Lincoln should die. Isn't he just one of many who could have done this? Yes, he's the only one that had the nerve, was willing to... He knew that he could easily lose his own life. He was the only one that had the nerve and the opportunity. 
But uh, there were editorials in northern newspapers that said Lincoln should die. Uh, he was he was a race traitor, what they what they call it now. He was betraying the white race. He was killing hundreds of thousands of white men to free black slaves. Uh, he was Abraham Africanus. He was he was out to overthrow the liberties that had been the birthright of free white Americans for generations. He was going to set up some kind of uh, African autocracy in the United States. He was going to be perpetually reelected so that event, uh, essentially he'd be president for life. He was, uh, we think of Lincoln, we know Lincoln as a sort of uh, revered martyr statesman. He's the principal secular saint in our civic religion. But at the time of his, the time he was president, he was the most hated and the most controversial president in, in American history. And his most controversial act was emancipation. Uh, and his enemies, he had many, many enemies in the North as well as in the South. And in that um, presidential booth where Booth shot and killed the president, was anyone else wounded or hurt? I mean, and, and what weapons or weapon did um, John Wilkes Booth have? Booth had a single-shot Derringer, which is something uh, a little, uh, a concealable pistol that only fired one shot. It was about the size of a man's hand and was easily concealable. Booth was an expert marksman. He was good with guns. But this is the gun he carried since he was about 20 years old. He carried it all the time, I think. And he carried it because it was so concealable. He also had a Bowie knife, uh, English Sheffield steel, with a nine-inch razor-sharp blade. So... Uh, the Lincolns had invited two companions, two young people, Major uh, uh, Henry Rathbone and his fiancée. And Rathbone, after Lincoln, uh, uh, Booth went in, fired immediately, shot Lincoln in the back of the head as soon as he opened the door to the presidential box. Rathbone threw himself on Booth, but Booth fought back with the Bowie knife and very seriously cut Rathbone on the arm and then jumped over the, the, the uh, edge of the balcony. Rathbone, despite being wounded, grabbed at Booth as he fell, and that's probably what threw Booth's jump off. He was a, a, an acrobat, Booth was. He could have made this 12-foot jump rather easily, but he was thrown off by uh, Rathbone grabbing his, his coat, and he landed awkwardly, and as people know, he broke his leg, which is the source, I guess, of the famous theatrical uh, saying, break a leg. Um, so the, uh, the link, and of course, Mary Todd Lincoln was in the box, too. Mm. So, and, and Booth really said in Latin, six semper tyrannis or something uh, that effect? He said, he said six semper tyrannis two or three times, yes. And that means thus always to tyrants. And it was the uh, motto of the state of Virginia. It appears on the obverse of the uh, Virginia state seal and on the Virginia state flag. Despite his leg being broken, he was able to flee the theater. He got away. He was he was on the run for 12 days. But the, the broken leg was a it was a, it was the tibia, the small bone in the left lower leg. 
you can just barely manage to stumble around on a broken tibia. It's the smallest of the three bones in the leg. Actually, it's, it's, it was really a broken ankle. If you hadn't been on the run, it would have been more inconvenience than anything else. But it proved to be fatal. He had to seek medical attention. He was hoping to get across the Potomac. Uh, he fled into southern Maryland from Washington, D.C., and he hoped to be across the Potomac into Virginia and then into the Deep South and maybe Mexico within a day of the assassination. And because of the broken leg, it took him nine days to get across the river. And, of course, a few days after he did get across the river to Virginia, he was shot and killed by, by federal troops. And, and how did that happen? I mean, they, they just caught up with him or they knew who he was and where he was? They'd been, there'd been a very, very intensive manhunt, and there were rewards of hundreds of thousands of dollars, which would be millions in today's money, for his capture. The, the, the search was going on most intensely in southern Maryland. They didn't know he'd gotten across the Potomac to Virginia, but they found witnesses that were willing to talk, and they tracked him down to uh, a little farm south of the Rappahannock River and surrounded him in a uh, tobacco barn. And Booth uh, had said that he was not going to be taken alive. He was going to either shoot himself or commit suicide by cop, more or less. And that's what he did. They set the barn on fire, and Booth came out with a gun in both his hands, and they shot him. He died a couple hours later. The coverage of this at the time said what? I mean, did it say that he killed President Lincoln because uh, of Lincoln's freeing the slaves or, or or not? They said that. there was a, The government released a lot of wanted posters, and one was addressed particularly to black, to African-Americans. And they said, this is your best friend. And he was killed by, Booth held the pistol, but he was killed by uh, uh, treason and, and white supremacy. So some people were saying it. Other people saw it as simply the last battle of the Civil War, that it was North and South, and Booth was simply a Southern partisan, which, of course, he was. It was about the biggest—I can't think of anything bigger. 9-11 wasn't—was maybe it's big, but America was transfixed by this. And during the 12 days that Booth was on the run, what took place at the same time was Lincoln's funeral. There's never been— there was never anything like that before, and there's never been anything like that since. I mean, a, a large part of the population of the North took part in this funeral. It was a movable funeral. It, the train went from Washington, D.C. to Springfield, and there were 12 separate funerals in, in 12 separate cities. Mm. It took about two weeks to get him back to Springfield. And the coffin was open for viewing the whole time, even though Lincoln's body was decaying, visibly decaying at the time. Mm. But something like I've a always, million people out of a population of the north of 20 million, something like a million people actually worked on his face, actually walked by the coffin. And more than that took some part in the in the funeral ceremonies. It was the biggest we, funeral that's ever happened. One thing I haven't asked you yet, uh, we're speaking with John Roanhamel, author of the book, America's Original Sin, White Supremacy, John Wilkes Booth, and the Lincoln Assassination. I've heard others say that, that, that white supremacy is America's original sin. Well, I 
get that from none other than James Madison, the father of the Constitution. He, in a letter to Lafayette, he lamented, quote, the dreadful fruitfulness of the original sin of the African trade, close quote. So people were using, the founders saw it as America's original sin. The founding generation were very optimistic that slavery would somehow die away. But of course, that didn't happen. Following the assassination of of Lincoln, white supremacy ultimately reigned supreme again uh, after the Civil War, did it not? Absolutely. It took a while. uh, As long as the U.S. Army was there, African-Americans in the South did gain some of the rights of, of citizenship, including the right to vote. But after the U.S. Army was withdrawn in 1877 and Reconstruction ended, the Southern whites went ahead and reimposed white supremacy. It didn't happen immediately, but over a period of time, blacks were deprived of the vote and were uh, oppressed and became second-class citizens. And that continued uh, well into the 20th century, as we all know. After Booth was killed, was he buried somewhere? Stanton was really in charge of things, the Secretary of War. And he didn't want Booth's grave to become some kind of rebel shrine. So he had him buried under the floor of a government warehouse. And uh, Stanton had the only key. But uh, Andrew Johnson, of course, became president. And toward the end of his presidency, he pardoned most of the conspirators who'd been given life sentences, the ones that weren't hanged. And he returned Booth's body to his family, and they buried it in the Booth family plot in Greenmont Cemetery in Baltimore, unmarked. But it was no secret. On Confederate Memorial Day, people would place flowers on Booth's unmarked grave, and he's still there today. I've seen the grave. Is there still a Booth family involved in acting? No. Booth's brother, Edwin, was, like his father, was considered the greatest tragic actor in America. But he died in uh, 1893, I guess, and it didn't continue for another generation beyond that. And I don't know. There are no descendants of John Wilkes Booth himself. He never had any children. But I'm not really aware of any any Booth family that's alive today. There must be some, but I'm not aware of that. It's not a very popular name now, probably. No, but Edwin Booth, who... After the assassination, Edwin Booth said, I will never again appear on a stage after after this. But he went on and became the preeminent actor in America for the for several uh, for a few decades after the assassination. But immediately after the assassination, no, it wasn't all of Booth's family were locked up. Everybody that was in the in the cast of uh, our American cousin was locked up. Everybody that had anything to do with Booth was locked up. The stable Mm -hmm. man who rented a horse to Booth was locked up. Uh, There was was a severe reaction. And there were were instances of people who expressed approval for the assassination, you know, said something casual like, ah, they should have gotten the son of a bitch a long time ago. Those people were lynched. They were killed on the spot in some instances. Hundreds may Mm -hmm. have been killed. John Roadhamel, uh, author of America's Original Sin, White Supremacy, John Wilkes Booth, and the Lincoln Assassination. Thank you very much. Is there anything you'd like to 
say at the end, maybe something you didn't get to talk about? I would say one thing, which is that if you read my book, you'll see that 160 years ago, at the time of the Civil War, white supremacy was not an extremist minority ideology as it is today, but it was widely accepted. Most white Americans believed that blacks were inferior and probably shouldn't be citizens. Although white supremacy is still with us, we've made progress in the sense that it's no longer a a widely held belief. You've been listening to The Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore.